Well, good morning, church. How'd you like my cousin? He do okay? No, seriously, um, it is an honor and a privilege to be here uh, with you today, and uh, I'm actually getting to stay here all week uh, in Lexington uh, because of the fact that ICOM, International Conference on Missions, is going to be held in Rupp Arena in the exhibit halls there. And uh, you're all rapid registered, and so you're all invited to come at any of those times and sessions beginning uh, Thursday night with the main session that starts at 7 all the way up through worship on Sunday. And so the uh, theme is uh, mobilize, disciples making disciples. So why did they pick Mike? And I, I wondered that several times this year. <laughs> but actually, uh, it's the organization that I get to represent, and that's called Good News Productions International, or GMPI. And it's used because there is, in our ministry, technology that's used to say, technology is a gift today to God's church to mobilize. And so what we do is we have 17 different video production sites around the world, and we help their Indians, if you're in India, Mexico, the Mexican people there, Kenya, where I lived and worked, Kenyans, we have offices there, and we help those national people learn how to use video to make stories, to do uh, narratives, to do testimonies, to do Bible studies that are in the local language of the local people, because we believe that Indians, who were former Hindus, understand the, war, mind, the worldview and the mindset of Indians, yes? They are fluent in Hindi. If you're in Africa, they understand the animistic viewpoint of Africans, and so it's best that it's run by Africans, and so on and so forth in Mexico and other places. So that's what we do, is we use technology as kind of the new digital road to help push and to accelerate global evangelism, and that at the end of the day is to help disciples make disciples. And so that's why we have been asked and why I get to represent that twofold theme of seeing and representing a technological-based uh, ministry that's going to help underscore what ICOM does. ICOM floats around the country every year. It's in a different city, and this year it is in Lexington. It's been here, I think, six years ago. And so we loved our stay, and we're coming back home again. So again, you're all, you're all invited. So mobilize, disciples making disciples, how are we doing with that? That is the theme, and you're going to hear six main speakers talk about that this week. But today I want to unpack that just a little bit and say, you know, what is it that could uh, maybe mobilize us afresh to be and doing the same thing that Jesus said, and that is to be a disciple who turns right around and multiplies himself to make other disciples? If we're to look in our history, there was what we would call a mobilizing event that occurred in our country, and it was known as Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, for some of you who lived that time, you remember that day. There was a war going on in Europe that we didn't want to get involved in. That's their issue, their bloodshed, their continent, their war. But when the bombing of Pearl Harbor occurred, it became personal. It became something that we were involved in to the point where our young people were being recruited to fight in this war. And it would be that there was, at that time prior to that mobilizing event, it would take nearly a year to manufacture a ship. Did you know that at the end of the war we could make that same ship in 17 days? <laughs> Focus. Focus was the key. 
And a mobilizing event like Pearl Harbor brought that focus. If it is not in your generation, then bring it fast forward to 9-11. Another mobilizing event in our history. It allowed us as a conversation piece to understand what is Islam. What is its tenets? Where is it located? Who are those people? It It brought us to understand way beyond our experience before that of just exactly what was Islam and who are these people that hate us so much. Pearl Harbor, 9-11. Historical, those were mobilizing events in our lives as a country. So my question is, what will it take to mobilize you and me to be a disciple maker? Is it going to have to be news from your family that Grandma has stage four cancer. Is it going to have to be news that a young colleague has been killed in a car accident this weekend? Is it going to be that someone's lost a job, financial downturn, and they have no hope? I just received word this weekend about a friend who committed suicide. For some in his family, that's going to be a mobilizing effect. So where are we, church? What's it going to take to mobilize us? You do realize you're at war, right? You do know that? And it's not the one that we're paying on a credit card in the Middle East. It's the war that will literally end all wars. It's a war that is described in this way in Scripture. But I want us to realize first what the value, what the booty will be in that war. And that is, if we read this uh, quote from Nikki. Toyama Setsu, she says these words, following Jesus is costly, but not following Jesus is far more costly. Amen? Isn't that right, church? That's the war we're after. And so if we read in Scripture about this warfare language, two Scriptures I want to just quote to you real quickly. The first one is found in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, and it says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Huh. I thought Jesus said he was the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And yet Paul here, a follower of Jesus, says we don't wage war as the world does. So it's not with sabers, it's not with AK-47s, it's not with bombs. It's with a different strategy. The second scripture I'd like to read regarding war is this. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your minds. That's what your Bible says, right? No. Against your bodies. That's what the Bible says, right? No. Peter says, more important than your minds and your bodies, it wages war against your soul. You see, Jesus didn't die on a cross for your mind, as sharp as it is. He didn't die on the cross for your body, as good hunk that you may be. He died for what is tabernacled inside, and that's the soul. And church, we are at war for the souls of men and women. 
And so my question to you and to us again is, what will mobilize us to do the one thing Jesus asks us to do, and that is disciples that make disciples? You know, Dan Spader talks about the fact that in the brilliance of Jesus' training of his disciples, after three and a half years, that he boiled down his whole strategy, everything his marching ardors into war would be this, which he says in basically the quoting of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where he says, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Bookend. All authority. Bookend. I am with you. Thing in between? Go and church and make disciples. That is the marching orders that we've been given. It was never a call about coming here. It was never a call about coming to a church service and experience the worship, as wonderful as it may be, or that energetic worship leader, as wonderful as she can do that. It was about go and show, go and teach, go and show and tell. That is what the warfare mandate is for the souls of men and women. You know, I became a Christian when I was a junior in college at Southern University in Carbondale, Illinois. Go Salukis. I know, I'll tell you what a Saluki is later on. I think you have a basketball team here in town too, I don't know, but... Amen, oh, now he wakes up. When I could have used the amen after scripture, he's silent, you know. Now he's amening, all right. He's mobilized. But the thing that happened with me is I fell in love with Jesus as a college student. And it changed me. And I realized that I couldn't live with my family. I couldn't stay with the old friends who were not followers of Jesus. I had to get out of Dodge. I had to get out of Illinois. And so the oldest of nine kids, dad so proud that I had a college degree, hoping I'd come back to the family farm. And I said I couldn't do it. And so I went to a pig farmer in southwest Missouri, or as they say, Missouri. And I worked there for a couple of years. And it would be there that in going to that small church of 100 to 150 people that the preacher one day would say to me, Mike, have you ever thought about becoming a minister? And I said, no, Gary. You see, I stuttered as a young adult. And all through college and all through high school, it was very embarrassing. Are you kidding me? You want me to be a preacher? (laughs) That's a joke. I'm a pig farmer. I get along with animals, not with people. At the same time that that man had talked to me about that, he also, the Holy Spirit was working with me in this regard, is that I was seeing on the television about people from Southeast Asia coming to our country as refugees from places like Laos and Vietnam. They were from the Hmong tribe and resettling in Columbia, Missouri and Kansas City. And I said to myself, Lord, I can't stand in front of you, in front of your throne and say, man, I did so well in feeding those pigs when so many are going hungry. At least you could take a farm kid and use him some way. And so at the same time as that rustling is in my heart, this preacher planted a seed that wouldn't die. And so I quit my job and I went to Bible college for just a season and 
Then a year and a half later, got on an airplane, this oldest of nine kids, a farm boy from Illinois who stuttered. And I did my very first plane ride with my wife of 18 months and my 10-week-old daughter, and we went to the country of Kenya as missionaries. And lived in a mud hut and ate termites and sour milk called Mursik and learned not one but two languages and loved it and lived there for 20 years. Why do I tell you that story? Because God can take normal people like you and me. It's never been about you. Did you know that? It's never been about your skills, about your brilliance, about your heritage, about your education. It's never been about you. It's about he who lives in you. For greater is he that lives in you than he who is waging war against you. Amen? That's what it's about, church. So maybe today there's someone here that you are going to be mobilized to be that cross-cultural communicator, that missionary for the next generation. I don't know. But I do know that I want to share just very quickly. In the brilliance of Jesus' command, this twofold point. Number one, that that ability to command that we make disciples who can make disciples, number one, that is wonderfully exponential. One times one makes two, goes to four, goes to, you get the idea. Secondly is it's generational. You know, Jesus probably could have won all the people in his generation to follow him if you so desire, but here's the issue. He's Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. What about the rest of the generations to follow? The brilliance of disciples who will make disciples as it jumps generations. And praise God that it did because it's jumped down to us today. So that great commission, you want God to walk with you? You want God to bless you? You want God? He's not going to be necessarily there when you're having coffee at Starbucks. He's not going to be there when you're necessarily going to that movie. He's not necessarily going to be there when you're dealing with those accounts. But when he will be there, when you will sense his presence, when he will anoint your words, is when you're doing the thing that's at war and mobilize you, and that is telling people about Jesus Christ. He's going to give you words. He's going to give you boldness. He's going to be there. He promised. You can count on it. He's going to show up. And church, you want him to show up in the next Starbucks conversation? Then have it with someone who needs to know about Jesus. It's not Brian's job to multiply this church. It's yours. He who is in you, the disciple, is what he wants making this church grow. So very quickly, I want to share three ways that you can be a disciple maker. You ready? Number one, yeah, write it down. Don't, 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 yeah. Be kind. Be kind. Man, this, I mean, come on. Well, I told you I didn't finish Bible college, all right? So it's not real tough. I mean, I'm the oldest of a, nine kids out of a farm. I'm a, I'm a common guy here, you know? But here's how we can do this, people. You want to make a disciple? Be kind. I want to tell you a story about my lovely wife of 35 years. She is the gorgeous, most wonderful woman in the world. And she manages not one but three clinics. They were used to be called crisis pregnancy centers. This entitled name is called Life Choices there in Joplin, Missouri. And there was a time about two years ago where there was a bunch of protesting going on against the antithesis of 
crisis pregnancy centers against life choices, and that is called Planned Parenthood. And there was a lot of protesting, a lot of marching. And actually, one person came along and said, I'm going to boost this along a little bit, and tried to set the place on fire. Now, thank goodness it didn't burn the place down, and it did not hurt anybody. And so people were coming to my wife, and they were saying, aren't you so glad that the community is behind you? Aren't you so glad they get the message of the sanctity of life? And my wife went instead to... Walmart and bought a bouquet of flowers and a gift card and went to the lady who was managing Planned Parenthood, knocked on the door and asked to see her and went in and said, here, I'm so sorry. I just want you to know, I don't agree with those protesters. We don't do that here at Life Choices. And we sure don't burn down buildings. And I apologize for my community. And I ask you to forgive us. And if there's anything that I can do, our staff, we are here at the ready for you. And then close with, may I pray with you? And she said, yes. And they prayed and she left. Now my wife's office is literally just one block north and two blocks back west from that office of Planned Parenthood. Several weeks later had passed. And as is a rule, there is an intake form that every client at Life Choices will fill out. And at the bottom of that form, it asks this question, who referred you to our clinic? And the lady signed it, Planned Parenthood. And if you think that's an accident, it's not. It's still happening today. You want to make a disciple? You want to convince and get into the voice of the conversation today on the sanctity of life? Be kind. Be kind, church. We're done with the rhetoric. We're done with the Facebook posts. We're done with the ranting. We need kindness and civility. And you as a church, led by the Holy Spirit, are expected to be the salt and light. And that is how we make Disciples. Number two, you want to make a disciple? You know, I lived 20 years in Africa, and they, they say you make a point and you illustrate it with a story. <laughs> so sorry, you're going to get three points and three stories. Number two, ready? You going to write it down? Okay. Be generous. Good grief. First, it's be kind. Then it's be generous. What is this, a nursery rhyme? Let me give you a story. I love sushi. I know it's odd. There's a guy from the Midwest, oldest of nine, German heritage, and a meat and a potato dude, and I love sushi. My mom was insured even before I decided ever to go to become a missionary. She said, I knew you were odd because everyone else liked potatoes and Mike, you wanted rice. <laughs> I like sushi. And my wife does too. And so we were, at this time of year, the following December of a year ago, we went to a very nice little Japanese restaurant in Joplin. And as we were ordering our meal, the lady was waiting on us, did a fair job, okay and everything. And so at the end of it, just as I was getting ready to leave the tip, it was like the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. And I, I don't have that happen often, but it was, it was this unbelievable thing, an urge, like you need to do something different this time. Really? And there was this toiling in beside me. I left a cash tip of the amount I didn't even tell my wife. The amount. 
And we went and left silence. Christmas came and went. New Year's came and went. And about the end of January, the following year, I've got a hankering for sushi. <laughs> and so my wife and I, we met at the same restaurant there. She preceded me. I was late, came in. Hi, dear. Sorry I'm late and so forth. Lady comes up. Yes, I like water with lemon, please. And then she just stood there. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, water with lemon. And she said, uh, you don't remember me, do you? No, no, I don't. Sorry, just water with lemon. She said, I've been waiting for two months to see you. And about that time, my wife looks over her glasses and goes, buddy, you got a, <laughs> you got a lot of explaining to do. And she went on to say these words. How did you know? How did I know what? And there she stood and she told us a story about how when that evening we left that tip, she had just gotten word that her boyfriend was leaving her. <clears throat> they had a 10-month-old little boy. And in her mind, she was trying to figure out how she was going to get back to Alabama to see her mom and dad with her son. And she was flat broke and had no money for bus fare and no money for a Christmas present for her son for his first Christmas. And then you left that tip. How did you know? And she began to cry in the restaurant. And my lovely wife grabbed her and pulled her into our booth, and we sat there for a half hour as she bawled and told us her story of heartbrokenness and, and strandedness of this single mom and we're still in a conversation with her today. You want to make a disciple? It is that easy. Simply be generous and kind. I didn't tell this in first service, but there's another element that is such an indictment against the church. My daughter put herself through college working in the food service industry, waiting on tables. And one of the things that she gave as advice for the work people where she would work for was this, that the other young lady told her this, and I cringe to this day to hear those words. Number one, this lady's advice, an experienced waitress to my daughter, the newbie, never hope to work on Sundays. Number two, if you have to work on Sundays, by all means, avoid the people who bow. Oh, my gosh. If I'm going to eat out on a Sunday, I will double the amount that I'm going to do. Because if they're going to work on a Sabbath to serve me food, the least I can do is tell them double thank you. Amen? Church, we can do this. We can make a difference by being kind and being generous. And number three, you ready? Ready? Jesus, the Word. Here's the third story. I am a frequent flyer on Delta. I fly around the world for my organization for the job that I have to do. And so there was a time when I was sitting next to a man who I knew, yeah, he's not from here. <laughs> and we were going from Oklahoma City all the way to Nairobi, Kenya. And he started to pop a beer or two, you know, and we got into the conversation. And it's always this way. So, what's your name? Where are you from? Where are you going? What do you do? 
And the long conversation says at some point you have to pause and you have to ask me. So, Mike, what do you do? What's your name? Where are you going? And so forth. And I have this dilemma when it comes to this question when in the conversation rule bantering back and forth when they say, what do you do? <laughs> because if I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I want to do email or I want to rest or I want to watch a movie or I just want to chill out the window, this is what I answer. So what do you do? I say, I'm a missionary. Boom. <laughs> Eight hours of silence. <laughs> or if Brian could do that, he would say, I'm a pastor. Boom. It's done. People don't know what to do with that. But in my better moments, when Jesus is a hold of my heart, and I really am wanting to be a disciple maker, I tell him these words. I work with GMPI, a Christian organization. I tell him these words. You know, we are an organization that goes around the world. We have 17 locations in which we empower indigenous populations to reach out to their communities with helping both for physical, sociological, and spiritual lift. And about that time, they're going, wow, that's awesome. I just described Good News Productions International. And the conversation continues. As it did with this young man, beer number three. He hears that I have been a missionary in Kenya for 20 years and that my children were all born there and that we helped start over 120-some churches and had over 7,000 baptisms and created a Christian organization, a video company, if you will, called Good News Productions International slash Africa. And he's hearing all these stories and so forth, and at the end of it, he's saying, yeah, you know, I ought to go to church when I'm back in Kenya. I said, why would you do that? Well, you know, my mom was a good Presbyterian, and she was leading us to Sunday school and so forth, and yeah, that's, I ought to do the right thing. I said, I wouldn't. I looked around and thought, I just said that. I'm the missionary. I'm the one that, and he's looking at me, he's looking at his beer and going, I'm the one drinking, not him. Well, he just said, don't go to church. And I believe it with all my heart. That was the right answer. No, don't go to church. Because you go to church in the state you're at right now, and you will see the same hypocrisy, the same element of adultery, the same element of lying and cheating, the same element of bat biking that you will see all the time. We are broken people, people. You are not that pretty looking. And you're definitely not that holy. But when we point them to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he falls in love, in homage to Jesus, he will fall in love not only with Christ, but his bride, the church. We're trying to get people to fall in love with the church, which is ugly, broken, and we all know that all have sinned and fallen short of the God. How are you going to get people to love that ugliness? Let them fall in love with God, Son, Jesus first. Amen? And then fall in love with His bride, the church. So let's not just go. Let's just not say come. But let us go and show by kindness and gentleness and generosity and pointing him to the word, Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we can do that at ICOM in 2016 is this, is we're going to initiate and launch what's called the RISE Project, Refugee and International Student Engagement. And we're trying to start a national conversation launched this week in your city that says there are refugees 70 to 80,000 of them coming to our country. They will become American citizens. 
But there is only eight weeks where the federal government helps them, and then there's so much of a gap that we as a church could stand and help. On the other side is the community, is the international student community. There is over a million students that come to our country every year to study. In four years' time, not over 70% of them will not be in a Christian home one time. 70% of them will live here four years and never be in a Christian home to have one meal one time. And yet, did you know that 50% of all world leaders studied here in the USA? I have a screensaver that shows me the Iranian parliament where there is study, he's a member of parliament, USC, University of Wisconsin, MIT, you get the idea. So one of the ways that we can be mobilized is through the RISE project, to reach out in our community. And Lexington is one of those cities that's having a lot to do with the refugee and international community. And so I welcome you to ICOM 2016. I welcome you to be mobilized in making disciples who can make disciples. It's, it's really easy. And I welcome you to say, Jesus, use me to this week to be kind, to be generous, and to point people to the Word.